live. Here we are. Well, good morning, everybody. Sorry for interrupting, but we'll uh, we'll roll on. We're here in James James Amell's reimagined lounge room. New couch, new furniture, new TV, new paint job. Looks amazing. Just feels good to be in your guys' house this morning. So thank you. And yeah, I see friggin' Lee's here. Just looking bright and light and fresh there. Shorts on. Enjoying where you guys are, man. I mean, I was just saying here that we it kind of feels unreal that we're popping over that direction sort of week after this. We can't wait to see you guys. But yeah, so from Mars, your place looking good. We caught you guys at the market yesterday. That was super fun. I mean, it was a bit of a cool experience to sort of see like that the reach of of your world just being there, seeing all the people at the market. Yeah, see Ali sell the exceptional olive oil. So hopefully all that went really well. Yeah, Rebecca's place. You just see that Anderson Cooper back after a few days off. And yeah. Anyway, good to good to see everybody. We're uh, I don't know how you went in your room. We sort of got just kind of catching up on life as we started, but this week's a bit of an interesting one as we sort of keep moving through Ephesians. And I think a good thing about approaching a book is, you know, there's probably I probably would have looked at this scripture and gone, ah, well, let's fast forward uh, and go catch the next chunk because you know the end of Ephesians is really this huge culmination that's like you know in conclusion put on the full armor of God. And, and what a powerful passage that is that speaks to this place that, you know, we're called to live from and be from, but, you know, sort of continuing in this vein that we've been in of what does life look like and how are we called to live in relationships? And what does the kingdom of God look like as it forms among us? And what does the work of Christ produce in us as we live toward one another? And this week looking at, you know, this idea of, you know, children and parents and slaves and masters, you know, it feels like we've been presented with these four roles that really represent two distinct relationships. Hi. And, uh, and this idea of places of power and places of weakness. You know, like Ella, I'm in a place of power in Ella's life. Isn't that a good thing? Hey, yeah. <laughs> you get to be the child and I get to be the parent. I'm making the decisions. There is an opportunity for me to decide and determine what life looks like for Ella. I'm in a position of power in Ella's life, whether I'm comfortable with that or not. Oh, your life, your, your daddy's got a place of, of goodness in your life too. But, you know, I think in life in general, then moving into the second section, we're comfortable with this and the idea of children and parents. But then sort of in the second half of this, we start to look at this idea of slaves and masters and I think, you know, this morning, as opposed to distinctly just looking at this idea of obedience or honor or respect or, you know, loving kindness, I, th I think, you know, just sort of sitting in this idea of what kind of character does it take to live both, if, to live well in both places of power and weakness? And what does that look like? And, and where has our formation failed us or where has our formation served us in that? And so I'm really looking forward to some thoughts on that this morning that sort of as we sat in this, as I sat in this this week, it was like, wow, there's some really cool themes here in the way that Paul sort of is presenting these two unique relationships. So we'll get into that, but I know I'm going to forget that later. So I'm going to say now Thrive Saturday morning uh, is out at Golden Valley's in the office room. Uh, Chris is going to be with us from 9.30 and 
it's really just going to be a time to together um, kind of take some Emmanuel time, as, as he calls it, you know, some time to connect with God personally and collectively. I think it's going to be a really refreshing and life-giving morning together. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Curtis is organizing some hangouts for kids. I will confirm that on a text tomorrow morning, but I think that's uh, what's happening. So that's Saturday, which would be great. So, but let's, let's just take a minute and just, I'm going to pray, but let's just take a minute and just, just worship on the back end of this and just, just let our hearts really sink into the place we find ourselves. I don't know how your week has been, but I've had a really great week in summer senses. The big sold sticker went up on our house and that was a huge celebration this week. And, you know, some really challenging things have been happening as well. But, you know, I think just to come to a place where we're with people who love us and care about us, where we're in a place where we're safe and we're seen, we're with like-minded people who are seeking the heart of God. And I think just letting ourselves just sink into God's presence here this morning, let him refresh us and renew us. And you know, I think sometimes we can breeze past this two hours uh, without even really stopping and pausing and go, Jesus, would you meet me here? Would you be with me in this moment? Would you be with us? in this moment, and I think uh, and that's our opportunity this morning. So let me pray that, and then let's worship together. So, yeah, Father, we just thank you that you've got good things for your kids, and that we are your children. We just ask this morning that as we turn our thoughts and our minds to you, Father, that we, we could just take the things that are heavy, the things that are too much, the things that are unfinished, the things that are uncertain, we could just sort of hand that to you in this moment. Jesus, would you just come meet us by your spirit across each one of these houses and each one of these places as we turn and look to you? Would you breathe life into our weary souls? Would you breathe joy and encouragement into our experience with one another? We just ask that the things that you see would occupy our perspective this morning, that the things that you love and the things that you desire would come and captivate us for a moment here today. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, just to come and just wash through each one of these rooms with your peace. We just, as we worship you and turn our thoughts and our minds to you, we just experience something of your presence this morning. That's a good news song, isn't it? It's that notion that even the darkest days are temporary. It's a true statement, isn't it? I don't. It doesn't feel like that when you're in a tough moment, though, does it? Kind of feels like. Like this is, you know, when you're having a bad day, it feels it doesn't feel like a bad day. It feels like a bad life at times. The truth of the matter is, there's, there's always some some light coming our way. I appreciate that song this morning. Yeah, wow, kids, there's something good for you today. What? Well, this this verse that we're talking about starts with the word children. <gasps> Georgie, you're one of those. Are you a children? <laughs> it's good news. This is some good news in this. I, I don't know. I don't know if when we hear some of the words that are in this verse, if we always think they're good news, but maybe that's just, maybe that's just as mommies and daddies. It's what we think, but let's look at this verse and see what it has to say to us. In Ephesians chapter six, uh, verse one to four, we're going to do the first half in this section. So it says, children, that's Georgie, obey your parents. Oh, that's good news. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is, accept their guidance and discipline as his representatives. 
for this is right. For obedience teaches wisdom and self-discipline. Honor, esteem, value as precious your father and mother and be respectful to them. This is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yeah. Well, I think to all of us that aren't children, we say amen. (laughs) I think obedience is a hard thing. And I think, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the truth of it. And, you know, we're going to take some time primarily just in our groups to sort of look at this or unpack it. But, you know, there's a, there's a, a piece in this passage that talks about what forms in us as we obey our parents, that there is a guidance and a discipline that is God giving us a representative first in our lives of, of himself in our parents. And I think if we as parents sort of like look at that and go, Paul saw parenting as the first representation that a human would have of how God relates to us. It's like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a job. Like that, that is a challenge. But it's how he designed it, you know, like all of life was given to us to be to to begin on this earth to reflect to us to refract to us what the kingdom of God in heaven would look like. And one of the first places that he gives us that is as kids, he gives us an authority who is completely over us and puts us in a position where we are completely subjective to that authority. Life starts there. I mean, I think of Ella, two months old, like she has no choice but to be subject to how we treat her, to what we do, to how that operates. And these are the first seeds for us of the life in which we are intended to live. Anyways, this idea of of obedience, teaching wisdom and self-discipline, I think it's what leads to this second part of the, the children verse, which is honor. I think when we've learned obedience, it gives way to a lifestyle of honor. You know, if, you, if we stop and think about that for a moment, like obedience accepts the fact that someone has my best interests in mind. I think that's, I think that's an important part is that, you know, where, where we have been failed in environments of obedience previously, maybe we've come to think of obedience as something risky or something dangerous or something that might not end up well. I should have my say. I should be the one who decides. But I think when obedience has its work in our lives in a season and we see that actually there are spaces and places where yielding to a greater authority in my life is protecting me. It's pointing my life to good things. It has my best intention in mind. And in fact, in this, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm protected, I'm safe, and I'm provided for. I think it leads to a lifestyle of honor where authority becomes something in my life that I can honor and be grateful for. And I think that's the principle that's, that's inherent here is that 
you know, this idea of honor your father and mother and life will be well with you and you will have a long life on earth. When I think about that, it allows me not to, to live in a state of fear around, uh, you know, what, what a father and mother represent, which is someone who's going to tell me what to do or someone who's going to have an opinion on my life. But it affords us the opportunity to live in a gratitude towards those who have gone before us, to those whose shoulders we stand upon, to the things that we have been given and been imparted to. And now what we know is that there is another part of that story that doesn't fully get encompassed in that. But I thought about it with Della, and I know I've shared this before, but I was changing her nappy one day and I was thinking like, I am 100% one of your top two people. And sometimes I like to imagine myself in the top stall, but there is just no chance. Uh, but I'm definitely one of her top two people and probably will be for quite some time. But then I thought about uh, a stage of life where I will be so fortunate to be in Ella's top 10 if I'm lucky. And that that is a healthy and good thing. That I don't want to be in Ella's top two for the rest of her life. That would be devastating. She's intended to go on and live a life and join her life to another and have children herself and have best friends. And, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be Ella's best friend for the rest of her life. I just want to be your dad, someone who can champion her, who can believe in her. And I'll be lucky one day to be in her top 10. And when our parents find their way out of our top two spots, it becomes our opportunity to practice honor. And because when I forecast my mind to that moment, you know, a wonderful gift of Ella's life could be that she could remember that when I was one of her top two people, I gave her everything I could. And that still will fall short, there's no question. And I think there's a big difference between honor and obedience. There's a season of life to which we are a subjected person who is called to be obedient to our parents. But if at 25 years old, I'm still obeying my parents, I'm not sure that we've grown to a healthy place. I think obedience, once it's had its work, gives, ways, gives way to an environment of honor where I hold a respect and I hold a regard for that which has formed and shaped me. And I hold a, an attitude of honor towards it because obedience has had its work. It goes on then to talk to us as, as, as parents and talk about what it is we should do with the power that we've been given in the lives of our children. Don't provoke your children to anger or exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when I think about this being God's heart, that he doesn't pick a favorite, that he has a, a love and a, and a patience, and that actually his actions are always for me. You know, I think sometimes as parents, we can pick up the power that we have in the hands of preference or control and actually the way that we're wielding obedience is no longer for the benefit of my child, but it's actually for my preference. I just want you to be quiet. And actually, maybe that isn't what you need. And now I'm wielding my power and control for myself and not for you. And I think, I think inherently within this verse, we have the invitation as parents to see the position that we've been given to, demand, to, to, to elicit obedience as one that is operated with tender, loving kindness. And I think where obedience is being requested, tender, loving kindness should be present. And, and that isn't the attitude of God toward his people that has the best for them. 
and and is not demanding something for themselves. And I think you know this is this is our first look this morning at a at a place of power and a place of strength that's given to parents in the lives of children. But what do we do with that? Is that is that there to serve our children? Is the power that I've been given in the life of Ella there to serve her? And to the best of my ability, it's true. But where authority gets used to elicit something for self, I think it's turned a corner that isn't where God meant for it to be. And I think when we think about it in those terms, it's also not how God operates towards us. But in our parent-child relationships, we've begun to have our first experience of what it was meant to be to have a God. And I think in that imperfect picture, we struggle to imagine a God who operates in loving kindness towards me and is always for my good. Because I think ultimately, as parents, we've used power for ourselves at times and demonstrated a wrong picture of what God called children into obedience for, which was to receive protection, was to receive life, was to receive the best. And, and I think to imagine that that's how God is toward me is, is a gift in imagining it. But as a dad, and that feels like a big ask to go, Brad, will you use the role you've been given in Ella's life to serve her? and not to allow the power you've been given to serve yourself or your preference. I think that's a very challenging idea to me that's in this verse this morning. So let's take, let's take a chance and stop and talk about that for, for a minute in our rooms. And then uh, yeah, we'll, we'll loop back around and pick up with uh, the same idea around the second two, two roles of slaves and masters. So have another read of that in your rooms. There's some questions on a sheet. Uh, yeah, and let's, let's have a chat about those things. All right, I think we're live. Well, I know we kind of did a few loops on this one. I, uh, that's where I'll interrupt. Wherever people are at, I, uh, can you see a timer on my screen? So I'll touch you. James, could we have a gallery mode for a second? Wonder, wonder maybe if we could uh, jump into your room as for a second, if you guys could unmute. I don't know if that's going to work or not. <laughs> Let's give it a go. Let's say, hey, there we go. Let's jump in with the Rebecca's house. How did you guys go with this one? What sort of what sort of came out of your discussions or what sort of things were you guys chewing on or what sort of came out for you guys to this? Oh, up in hand, Damar. Yeah. Um, You've been nominated, mate. There you go. Yeah, nominated. Um, well, what do we talk about? We talked a lot about, um, yeah, just around that obeying your parents with the kids here. Yeah. Uh, about the positives and negatives of that. Mm. Um, yeah, how is that hard? And um, yeah, there was some pretty opinionated thoughts here from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> On whether that was a good thing or a bad thing or whether it was hard or easy. Um, and we... Yeah, we kind of ended up on the thought of uh, um, is it is that something that uh, yeah, the concept of like do we see the the result of it quickly like the obeying um, so and then how does that then reflect so so sometimes that obeying the the 
you know, creating discipline in your life and those sorts of things mm. is a is an instant thing. So like, mm. uh, you know, you know, David, clean your room. He cleans your room. Now you have a clean room. But like, maybe there's a long term play there as well. And then yeah. uh, paralleling that into like, how does how does God use that kind of concept of, in mm. our lives where where we'll be obeying and maybe not see a direct uh, consequence or result of that? Like that's quickly. A good, that's a good connection. Yeah, that's a good um, connection. So, you know, is that just something he's wanting to to build in our lives, like a a um a, yeah. a, a parental formation? Uh yeah. or, you know, the, and then sometimes, you know, we go, okay, we obey God and then we get a direct kind of like, oh, you know, and we were saying, you know, sometimes I guess so I was saying that you know, you feel like, oh, I feel very blessed because of this you're like oh i don't really feel that blessed in this area but is that just because it's a a long-term kind of a heart thing or is it something else yeah wow yeah those are good thoughts yeah like what what yeah what comes out of an obedience mindset that believes i I suppose really what you're connecting it to is almost that second bit that it's like you know is the one who were obeying for me and can I trust this is good even when I can't see why or even when that's not an immediate outcome? Yeah, I think that's, that's a cool thought. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for sharing. Can we jump into, Mars, can we jump in with you guys? What, can we, uh, can you guys unmute and just maybe hear a couple of things you guys have been chewing on? Is it, is it possible? Hey. We got yeah. Yeah, we can hear you. How'd you guys go? What what would you what were you guys reflecting on around this idea? Yeah. Um we were we were sharing on some similar thoughts uh, about the, the relationship between honouring your parents and honouring God and how when you're a child, you don't always see why obeying is important. You don't always see the consequence of, mm. not the consequence, but the I guess the bigger picture of um, what honouring and obedience is actually doing in your own heart, in your own life, for your own good and your own safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... When you get older as well, we were talking about what it looks like to not necessarily uh, obey, but to honor. Like when you become your own, when you become an adult with your own life and you're a bit more independent and you're not necessarily under your parents' um, household or authority in the same way, there's still a massive honor piece there. And so, what does that look like for? Yeah us in our life at the moment to be adults honoring our adult parents like what what does that look like and why is that important in the kingdom of god that we're honoring towards our uh, the people that have raised us and our parents so yeah Yeah. Mm. i love that that's really cool one of the things that we spend a bit of time talking about in here is almost sort of like the flip side of it, like, you know, the weight that lands on us as parents to use the power we've been given in this relationship of a parent-child um, unselfishly and for for the good of our children. 
and um, yeah, how uh, tempting it can be to use power for selfish end. And I know that sounds like a really strong framing of it because we we just wouldn't, you know, I would never consider myself selfish towards Ella. But I was telling a story about, you know, when Ella was younger and just starting to go to parks and I could choose in my time out with her to do something that I would really love and she wouldn't complain about that or to do something she would really love. And it's like, well, I have all the power. I get to decide where we go and what we do. And I was realizing that, wow, actually, I think I choose to go walk the street more often than I choose to go to the park. And actually maybe the power that I have to produce life or obedience, you know, maybe I need a bit more of the focus to be for Ella and just the challenge in that. We sort of talked around about that, that, you know, it's an unselfish thing as a parent to go fill up on what produces loving kindness. And that there's an emotional output to loving our kids uh, that's required and some things that maybe we would deem as selfish aren't. So anyway, we did some loops around on that. So very cool. Well, we'll uh, dive into the next bit, which sort of builds on the first bit in a sense, because the first relationship that we're given is as a child to parents. And then, you know, at some point we maybe possibly become parents and enter in a position of power. But this, this one's a little bit, uh, it, dealing with sort of a different aspect of life, but again, sort of dealing with this idea of, you know, powerful positions and weaker positions. And so Paul's speaking to slaves and masters, which is probably language that we don't so closely relate to uh, the same anymore, but let's, let's draw out of this the, the principles that we can. So Ephesians chapter six, verse five to nine, it says, slaves, <clears throat> be obedient to those who are your earthly masters with respect for authority and with a sincere heart, seeking to please them as a service to Christ, not in the way of eye service, working only when someone is watching you and only to please men, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not, and not only to men, knowing whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. You masters, do the same, showing goodwill toward them and giving up threatening and abusive words, knowing that he who is both their true master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him regardless of one's earthly status. I mean, there are just some really interesting things in here if, if we sort of stop and look at, at, at what is sort of being unpacked. I mean, first of all, uh, if we go to this bottom bit, Paul is saying both to uh, the powerful position of master and to the less powerful position of slave, or, or, or let's use like a different language. Let's talk about employers or employees or boss and, and worker, you know, if, if we use those terms. It's like he's saying the same thing to both of them because he says, you masters do the same. So the call is no different based on the position. And so the verse isn't saying that slaves should be respectful to their earthly masters. Really, the whole passage here is about doing everything that we do, treating God as the master of our life. Really, the whole passage is an invitation to see the entire life we live as in service to God. So if we stop and think about that for a minute, you know, uh, what's being encouraged by Paul to the to, to, to slaves 
is that out of a sincere heart seeking service to Christ, that they would wholeheartedly, willingly, and diligently serve those to whom they work for, as though they were serving God, not just when the master's watching, but from a heart that goes unto God when life is lived, and I will serve fully and wholeheartedly the God who has given me the opportunity that's before me. That the lives we live have been given to us by God, and that the purpose that we find ourselves in serves him live with this mindset you know and, and his encouragement to the master is the same you do the same show goodwill toward them don't treat them this way because in fact he who is your master is their master you have the same master and you're treated the same he's speaking to people in power and, and it's like he's equalizing it and in the eyes of god there isn't a bigger person than a smaller person or a, a more important person or a less important person or a more powerful existence and a less powerful existence. You know, I think for him, he's saying all of this serves me in whatever way uh, you choose. And I think that really changes something here. And I guess, you know, depending on what our experiences of authority have been, will have a huge implication on how uh, easy it is to step into this mindset. And, and, and we have had imperfect experiences, both in parent relationships, in boss relationships, in world relationships. Maybe it's with a teacher, maybe it's with a coach, maybe you know, we have lived our lives in relationships where we have been either in positions of decision maker or uh, you know, where, where I'm being decided for. And, and, and in this instance, uh, I think taking a mindset towards God that says, my life serves you. You know, if that's the invitation of this passage, that we would, as the people of God, no matter our position, no matter our status, no matter where we find ourselves, that we would find ourselves living as though our lives serve God. I think it's incredibly challenging. Because I, I think in many ways we feel more comfortable with a master mindset. Because when the power and control sits with me, I can protect myself. And I think it's really hard uh, because of the disappointing or negative experiences that have found their way into all of our lives in some way, shape or form to trust that seeing myself in a powerless position towards God is beneficial. Seeing myself as his servant and as his slave. That's a really hard thing to wrap our minds around. But I guess, you know, when we look at it and, and even talking about these things, uh, I think, you know, this is the example we've been given. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8 says, Jesus took the form of a servant, a bond servant, taking on the embodiment of man and giving up his righteous entitlements in heaven and coming as a servant. And it says in John chapter 13, verse 12 to 17, he talks about coming and washing the feet of his disciples. And he says, no servant is greater than his master. The one who has been sent is not greater than the one who sent him. He's saying, I'm the servant here. You may see me as a master, but the truth is I'm a servant. He never, ever saw himself. You know, someone comes to him and says, you are, you good teacher. And he says, whoa, 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 there's only one who's good. If you're looking for the master, it's not me. I'm just a servant, just like you. Like this was the embodiment that he took on. In Mark chapter 10, verse 5, 45, he says he came to serve and not to be served. 
And the example that we've been given as the people of God in the kingdom of God is one that is very uncomfortable. Because we are more comfortable viewing ourselves as the parent to a child. We are more comfortable viewing ourselves as a master than a slave. Because when the power sits with me, I can protect myself and I can use this to determine my own path. But the truth of the matter is, the greatest reality that we find ourselves in is that no matter your position, no matter your status, no matter where you find yourself, we have but one master. And all of the lives of men and women, no matter our place or position, are called to serve God as our master. I think that's the invitation of this passage. <laughs> that's the invitation that we're, we're dropping like flies in here. <laughs> but our, uh, yeah, I think the invitation of this passage is really meaningful. Uh, and it is that we are those who are called to act with respect unto authority because we are those who have come to understand that the true authority that we live for is one master, our father in heaven. And my life is invited to serve him, no matter the authority I'm given, no matter the position I have. And, and when that is the um, attitude that we take, no master under that authority will be threatening or abusive in any way, shape or form. Because the one to whom we serve is not threatening or abusive, is not controlling or self-serving, is not a keeper of a record of wrongs, is not a self-seeking master. And therefore to him whose authority we have positioned ourselves will allow us to use our authority for loving kindness, will allow us to parent in a way we couldn't otherwise. And I think it's the culmination of this passage that says there's an order to things and there is an obedience and there's a submission and we are happy to sit and speak to our children about obey your parents. But why don't we hear as often parents focus on tender loving kindness? Like why isn't that quoted just as often as children obey your parents? We like the power play. We like the power. But this passage that we culminate in says every human being on earth is called under the mastery of God, our father, even Jesus himself. This was how he acted. He chose the weaker position. He humbled himself and came, viewing his life as a servant, came to serve, not to be served. And it's like, what is the invitation here for us to imagine that uh, the weaker position is truly the gift of life we've been given unto God? Anyway, let's take some time. Let's reflect on this passage here this morning and, uh, and, and see where we find ourselves landing inside of the words that Paul's sharing in Ephesians chapter 6. So, yeah, some questions on the sheets and we'll come back together. All right. Well, a refreshing chat about servanthood and the authority of God in our lives. We're feeling inspired, are we? <laughs> I think we're feeling tentatively uncomfortable in our room. <laughs> a bit like, oh man, there's something good in this, but doesn't all feel good. Doesn't all feel good. But yeah, I mean, we thought we'd take a minute just as we kind of bring this one to an end, just to throw it out there and go, are there any questions that are sitting out there coming out of this morning's topic? And, you know, hopefully there's none. But uh, <laughs> definitely, there's <laughs> none. <laughs> Hopefully, there's none. That's well put, Anne. 
but let's yeah we'll just throw it out there if you if there's a question in your room just unmute a mic and, and throw it out there if there's a question that sort of came up in your room that you think other people would benefit from let's ask it sort of broadly we'll we'll just take like a couple minutes for this but yeah anybody got any questions that sort of rolled around our room in process on, on either of these kind of two sections that we jumped in on I feel like I'm at the block options. <laughs> I might I might ask one, Brad. All right, hit us. Just just because you know we got talking about it, but we didn't get too far down the the track. And if it's a rabbit hole, then don't go. But um, I I just was wondering about this tension of you know you know, in our climate of like freedom and, and in the, the American, obviously the American idealism of freedom and my freedom to choose. And I, I'm the authority because I choose who's in authority. And if I don't like it, I, I rage against the machine and all that stuff. In the, in the culture of that, you know, in a Western culture of that, um, I think we struggle. Um, I know I do, especially to know how, how do I separate you know, something I disagree with and my opportunity to have the rights that I have, you know, and how do I, and how do I um, honor God and follow God and see God as the master, not, not Dan Andrews, but still find myself into disagreement. And how do we, how do we hold those things in tension and still, and continue to um, quote unquote obey um uh, the authority set in front of us and yet still honor God. And, and wh where do you, how do you, how do you, what would be your initial reflection on that? Like, how, where do you go with that? It's just a super simple question. Super right? simple. Super simple. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I guess, I guess Curtis, like we need examples that have gone before us. And I think if we look to our current generation and our current situation, you know, they're few and far between. And I guess this is where we can be grateful that we have scriptures and that Jesus walked a human road and that he lived a human life and that he navigated tensions with the authorities of the day and political issues and governing authorities that did not think what he was doing was good or of God or right or righteous or helpful or beneficial to society. You know, and Jesus walked these things. And so I guess there are times where I feel like I'm so grateful that we have scripture to be an example to us or you know, we even reflected on uh, a couple of these things here in our room, like Paul, he lived a life where he was imprisoned for his faith. And I think one of the things that we've done in our Western society is we've, we've picked up the rights that the world has given us as God given rights, and we've demanded something of the world uh, in, 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 our, in our experience of our faith, that we actually have examples that we need to look to history for. Um, yeah, and I think just because you're walking the path of God doesn't mean you, uh, uh, you know, get to blow up the government, for example. You know, Paul chose to be imprisoned by the authorities of the day, and he witnessed to guards, and he 
uh, sang worship songs and he praised and he allowed his faith to go stronger in an environment of restriction and constriction because he had an authority that was greater than the authority that was constricting him. What he took wasn't depending on the permission of a government to allow him to have it. They didn't give it to him in the first place so they couldn't take it away from him. He saw God as his master and he saw faith as his greatest call and he didn't think that freedom was bigger than faith. And I think sometimes our rights in the world have become bigger than the faith and following of God. I think that's a problem. If, if we demand of the world uh, the, uh, the freedoms we desire and our faith, I think at some point in time we may come up against the same constrictions that people like Jesus and Peter and Paul and so on and so forth came up against. I guess in the, in the climates that are intensifying, and look, I, I'll confess I'm on, I'd be on an extreme end of the view of this, so I wouldn't say this is what everyone has to see or everyone has to think. I think there's room for differing views. I think there's room for advocating for Christian freedoms. Uh, but ultimately, if the world didn't give us our freedom to begin with, it can't take it away. And even in chains, I can be free in God. Because what we're talking about here is a spiritual freedom. And so I think we can confuse those two things and demand of the world rights that we may lose. And if we lose them is what we've discovered in our faith and in Jesus strong enough to keep us worshiping and to keep us joyful. Will, will our witness change the lives of those who imprison us or will, will we act in some different way? And so yeah, maybe I'm not doing a great, a great job of answering your question, but what I'd say is we need to look to the picture of Jesus who, you know, when the guards came and Peter rose up against the authorities of the day to protect the freedoms of Jesus and cut the ear of the guard off, Jesus said, this is not how we'll act if you're following me. And he healed the ear and he went with the guard. You know, I think these are pictures and examples that ask a deep character of us as we pursue Jesus as our ultimate authority, and as we see our lives as serving God. I think if that's the place we're going to find ourselves, it's a tall call. It's a, it's a big yeah, it's asking, going to ask a lot of maturity of us, I think. So anyway, that's my commentary on it. And I think as opposed to, you know, debating it, you know, what I'd say is um, I'm, that's, that's a view. And, and I certainly can acknowledge that there's other views that say so. So what are you saying? We should just lie down and let the government choose whatever they want to choose. It's like, well, well no, you, we have a voice in a democratic society and we should speak for, for what we believe in. But the day of the world holding to a Christian value system is, is, is over, ultimately. And, 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 and the, the scriptures suggest that that would be the case. So we, we don't have to imagine that this is outside of the plan of God. If, if God said we would be persecuted, uh, then it'll serve the purposes of God that persecution would exist. We can trust him. Our trust is in him. Our trust isn't that we won't be persecuted for what we believe. Our trust is in a God who said that we will be persecuted. And if it's part of the plan of God, it will serve him. Heavy statements, I know, but I'll, we'll just park it there. <laughs> and, and take me to task this week, if, if, you know, in whatever ways in which you see it uh, more clearly and fully than I do. So, yeah, I'm really not a very short question answer so <laughs> unless there's like something else totally burning out there i reckon we better park it there but yeah i mean i think there's a lot of life in this passage or i've discovered a lot of life in this passage this week you know it's really inviting me to see my relationships as ones that'll serve god that'll live in love that will will seek to use the places of power that i have 
to minister the love of God and will seek to see the places of weakness that I have as my opportunity to be God's servant fully and completely. Man, that's a challenging picture. It's a challenging picture. So, um, 